Dear congregation, in this evening we have read from the book which is entitled in the first, first verse, The Song of Songs. It's the only place in the Word of God that we read of a song of songs. And it's a way of expressing that this is an incomparable song, a song that rises above other songs. And for it to do so, it must have a theme above other themes. And that theme is the love of a bridegroom for his bride. And when we ask, what is, who is that bridegroom? Then we can say, yes, something of that love of a bridegroom is reflected in bridegrooms here below, husbands here below, who are to love their wives. But if we read this, then it's so clear that it's a bridegroom above any other bridegroom, and that it must be none less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his love for his bride. Is that not the greatest love that exists, the love of Christ? And it's a love that he shows to his bride. And if you send something of, know something of his love, then do you not agree tonight with chapter 1, verse 2? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Thy love is better than the greatest enjoyments, any other enjoyments that I could ever imagine. Thy love is better than them all. If you send something of that love, then don't you desire it more? And don't you realize how much you depend on that love, that love of Christ? That you say, draw me by thy love. We will run after thee. Sensing that love, knowing that love, does it not give such delight? Chapter 2, we read in verse 3, I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his banner over me was love. What a blessing. To delight in his love to desire his love, to depend on his love, also to be devoted to this bridegroom. Think of chapter 1, verse 7, how he says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? That desire to be devoted to him to be dedicated to him, to be close to him, not to turn aside because he's the one whom my soul loveth. It's about his love. And so to be devoted, to delight in, to depend on, to desire his love. Is that not what communion is all about? Communion with this Christ as that heavenly bridegroom as the one who loves, so loves his bride. That's a love which is so amazing. And it's a love that can also make his bride such a riddle to herself. Why is it that I don't love him more? Why is it that I'm not more devoted to him, that I don't delight in that love more, that I'm not closer to him. Why is it that things can come between me and him? 
And the fault is always me. And it's in the midst of that riddle that it's so amazing that we have this call of our text in verse 14 of chapter 2. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. And we'll see first the hiding dove, and secondly, his call of love. And so our theme is Christ's call of love to his hiding dove. First his hiding dove, and then his call of love. The bride in the Song of Solomon is not always the same. There's times when she, she rejoices in the love of her bridegroom. She's near him. But there's also other times. And we see that even, even in this chapter. When it speaks of how he comes, leaping upon the mountains, and he comes to her. It implies that there was a time where there was a distance between him and her. And when he comes to her and he says, the, the winter is past and the springtime is come, it implies that there was a time of winter, a time of distance, a time of coolness, a time where there was not that, that flourishing spiritual life. And so he comes to her in this situation. He comes to find her again. And he comes and he says that, that, that winter time is past. And the flowers are appearing, the time of singing is come, and the time of fruitfulness is come. He says, arise, come away. And you would expect that the moment that she hears this bridegroom call, that she would come, and she would come away immediately. And yet, in our text, he has to call out to her, O oh my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the stairs. He calls out to her in this way. It's amazing that the bridegroom continues to call, and he doesn't give weary of, get weary of calling. Even when his bride doesn't listen right away, he keeps calling. Sometimes we go to someone's house and we knock on the door or we ring the doorbell and there's no answer and we move on. They're not home or they're busy or they don't hear or whatever, we go on. Christ is not that way. He doesn't just call once and if you don't hear, then he goes on. No, he's one who continues to call. Why is that? It's because she remains his dove. He calls her earlier, my love, my dove, my fair one. And now it, again, he addresses her as my dove. Why does he call her my dove? What comes to mind when you think of a dove? Maybe you think of harmlessness, of gentle innocence. After all, he says in, in chapter 5, verse 2, and 6, verse 9, she is my dove, my undefiled. Being undefiled and being a dove fit together there. Where the Lord Jesus later says, ye are be harmless as doves. There's a gentleness. 
I've seen, I've seen a goose come hissing towards a child with his neck stretched out, and that child was very scared and ran away. But when you see a dove, there's a gentleness there, isn't there? Is that why he calls her my dove? Another may think of beauty. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Behold, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. In admiring her beauty, he has drawn to her eyes those, those dark, expressive eyes of her soul, and he compares them to dove's eyes connected with beauty. Also in Psalm 68, we read of, of the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. The, the dove there is a, a picture of beauty. Whatever may come to mind when we hear the word dove, we may be sure that this is the expression of love. It's a language of the bridegroom who calls his bride special names in his love. How can that be? It's because she is his. Oh, my dove. You are mine. I've made you my bride. And you're still my bride. And I will never cut the bond with you. I claim you as my own. And I keep you as my own. You're mine. That's why he continues to call. That's why he continues to show love. It's because she's his. Oh, my dove. Bride of Christ, that little word, my, is everything. If you belong to him, and he says you're mine, that's incomparable. That's why, because you're his, he continues to call, and he continues to show love, and he will not give up on you, ever, no matter what Oh, my dove, he calls. But why doesn't she come right away? Why does he have to say, Oh, my dove, which art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the stairs? It's a picture, isn't it? You think of that dove? It's there in, a, in an empty street, and suddenly out of a doorway come some people, come some maybe some children running out into the street, and the moment that dove senses those, those children are there in the street, what does it do? It wants to escape. And what does it see? It sees the stairs. And in those days, the stairs were on the outside of the house going up to that flat roof on the top. And maybe under that stairs, there was a little crevice. And so it, it, it flutters into that little crevice to be safe there and out of sight from those people in the street. He's there in the stairs. Or in the clefts. You think of a dove, how it is, it is out in the hills. And a great storm sweeps through the area. And what does it do? It wants to find a place that's warm and dry. And it goes into the crevice of a rock where it may be safe. Or maybe it's there. And suddenly there is that, that hawk that swoops down. And picks up another dove. 
And when it does so, this little dove so panics that it finds some little crevice where it can hide away from that danger. And there it is with its heart thumping of fear. This dove has gone into the, into the stair or into some cleft of the rock to be there, to be safe. And that brings out another aspect of a dove, that a dove is so defenseless. That's why Psalm 74 says, Oh, deliver not the soul of my turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked, because he knows if that, that turtle dove is placed there in the midst of the wicked, that turtle dove will never be able to defend itself. It will be destroyed in a moment. You think of a dove in the midst of hawks, it, it's, it's gone. And so that dove needs a place of defense, a place of safety, because it's so defenseless of itself. And isn't that so? Christ's dove is so defenseless on its own. What are you in the midst of all the dangers around you? You need a place of safety, of refuge. But where is this dove? It's somewhere that makes the bridegroom have to come and call it out of that place to himself. So it means that this refuge must not be Christ, who is the refuge, the true refuge. It must be somewhere else that this dove has gone to find safety in the midst of life, a place that's not Christ. And what a danger that is. And it brings out another aspect of a dove, that a dove can be very foolish. In Hosea 7, verse 11, we read, Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. He says, Ephraim is flying from one rock crevice to find safety to another rock crevice to find safety. And all the while, it doesn't realize where its true safety is. It's so foolish. Is that you? Is that me? Looking elsewhere for safety and for supply than Jesus Christ. Are you tonight sheltering in Jesus Christ? Or are you somewhere else in your midst of life? Some of us here have never found refuge in Jesus Christ. And yet you're going on in life day by day by day by day. What is it that you think is keeping you safe? What is it that you think is supplying what you need in life? Why is it that you can go from day to day without Christ? Where is it that you're hiding, you're seeking safety and supply? If it's not Christ, you think you can manage in life. You're working hard, you're making money, you're paying the bills, you're kept in health. Is that your safety? You have friends you can talk to, you have places you can go. Is that your safety? 
Maybe even you, you have a church to go to and you come to church regularly. Is that all your safety is? My friend, if you don't have Christ, you have no place of refuge or safety. Isaiah calls all those other places that are not Christ. He calls them all refuges of lies. A refuge of lies. It's a place that, that promises safety and supply. And you go there thinking there you'll be able to manage in life. But when you're in there, you'll find that it's only a refuge of lies. And the sooner you find that out, the better. Because the last thing you want, my friend, is that it would be fulfilled what's said there in that context of Isaiah 58. The hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. You think of that little bird who goes into a place of safety. Maybe he's in one of those wadis, those dry riverbeds, and he goes under a boulder, and he thinks, there I'm safe, and only to find out that there is that water rushing down, and it soon will drown him in that dry riverbed that is soon full of water. My friend, any other refuge outside of Christ will turn to be a refuge of lies one day. You'll find it out. But oh, may you find it out tonight so that you can't live on without a true refuge of Jesus Christ for your soul, for your life, because he is such a refuge. But to come back to this text, here we have the one whom Christ calls my dove, who's not sheltered in his love and delighting in his love, is somewhere else. Is that possible? For his dove, for you tonight who are the dove of Christ, be somewhere else rather than with Christ. Have you found that so? A tendency in your heart to seek supply elsewhere rather than Christ. A tendency to go elsewhere for, for protection and for safety other than Christ. All those other things in life. It can be your work, it can be your finances, it can be your doctors, it can be your counselors, it can be yourself, just managing yourself. It can be your own goodness that you seek shelter in. It can be so many things, but they're not Christ. And have you not learned? You have learned that they're miserable places to be, all those other places. Why do we go back to other places and wander from Christ? How can it be? And yet what a mercy that Christ sees that. And if that's where you've gone elsewhere rather than Christ, Christ sees you tonight and he comes unto you in his word and he calls out unto you, O oh, my dove that art in the clefts of the rock. And he calls for you to hear his voice tonight. Oh, what would... What would keep you from hearing his voice and keep you from coming to him again tonight? Why would that little dove remain hidden away when the bridegroom comes? To mix the, the metaphors. 
Why not come immediately to know the love of the bridegroom? There's no nourishing food. There's no joy-giving light. There's no refreshing water. There's no delightful company anywhere but in Christ. If you're not experiencing his presence, if you're not sheltering in his love, why is it? Could it be that when you hear that call, oh my dove, you think, but does he really mean me? When you hear that title, my love, my dove, my fair one, and you look at yourself, wherever you are, in the midst of the dust, and you say, but, but I'm not fair, and I'm not delightful. I'm not that beautiful dove. He can't be meaning me when he calls. It must be someone else. And when you think that, then also the table of the Lord can seem so far away. He wouldn't be calling me to want to have communion with me. Look at what am I? And you keep hidden. Or do you keep hidden because you're afraid? You think I don't fit with him. He's altogether lovely, pure and holy and glorious. And who am I? I'm so opposite of him. And how can we be together? It doesn't make sense. We don't fit together. And you keep at a distance from him because you think you don't fit with him. Or maybe it's shame. Shame. When you look back at what you've done, what you've been, maybe even since the last communion season, and, and, you're, and you're filled with shame, and you think, who am I? It's like a bride who's been unfaithful. She thinks, how can I, I look my bridegroom in the eye after what I've done come out to him? It could be a shame. It could be a fear. It could be a hesitation. All these things. Or you can just be in the midst of the, the trouble and pain of life and you, you know he's, his hand is in it all and you're hurting and, and you're avoiding him in the midst of it all. Whatever it be, Christ comes and God speaks of the fullness of his love in Jesus Christ and the freeness with which he gives it and the faithfulness of his love in continuing however wherever that bride may be, that he can't give up on his bride and he still calls out unto his bride, whatever she may be, wherever she may be, he continues to call and he calls also tonight. Oh, my dove, still. Brings us to our second point. Not only is hiding dove, but Christ's call of love. He comes in this passage and he comes through this passage tonight to find his dove simply because he, she's still her do, his dove. Whoever hesitant or ever ashamed or however fearful or however sinful she may be, he seeks her out. Oh, my dove, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. Do you hear his love? His love that is not diminished in any way. 
It's desire for her that's as strong as it's ever been. And it's love that desires to be with the one you love. Isn't that how it is? And it's his love that wants to be with his dove. Let me hear thy voice. Let me see thy face. Let us have communion together. Let me hear thy voice. And maybe you just think, my voice, what is my voice? What can I do with my voice? You think I have reason to mourn with my voice, to mourn over my sin. And would God want to hear that voice? A voice of someone who complains about their sin? Would God not rather hear the voice of all the multitudes around his throne who give him ceaseless praise, the ones who, who love him with unsinning heart and who glorify him with their every fiber of their being? Are those not the voices that he would love to hear? Why would he want to hear my voice? Well, the voice of a dove is what? I don't know if you have them here, but in our area we have what we call morning doves. You have them here too? Morning doves. Why are they called morning doves? Because it sounds like they're morning. There they are. The Bible also speaks, for example, Hezekiah, I did mourn as a dove. Isaiah 59, we mourn sore like doves. Ezekiel 7, every one of them, uh, they are like doves in the valleys, all of them mourning every one for his own iniquity. Does the Lord want to hear such a voice? He does, doesn't he? He says, bring it all to me. Confess it all to me. Confess all your sin, as we heard a couple nights ago. Confess it all to me. Let me hear your voice. Don't just mull about your sin. Don't just look within and reflect and have that turn around. No, let me hear your voice. Bring it to me. Everything. Lay it all open before me. Let me hear your voice. Do not be silent. David tried to be silent, didn't he, in Psalm 32? He, 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 he was just silent. He didn't confess. And as long as he did so, his bones waxed old through his roaring all the day until he confessed his sin. Do not be silent. Tell him everything. Not only thy voice of confession, confession of sin, also the confession of all the pain and all the trouble that you may be going through in life. Let me hear your voice. Confess it to me. Maybe you're not so quick to tell it to other people, but tell it to me. Tell it all to me. But also let me hear thy voice of petition. He so desires to hear the voice of supplicants, those who call upon him. The scripture is so full of his desire to hear voices lifted up in prayer to him. He desires that. In fact, not even just from his bride. He desires all men, whoever we are, whatever we are spiritually. He desires to hear our voices confessing our sin, crying for mercy. I will be inquired of, he says. Also tonight, on this eve of a communion Sabbath. Just let me hear your voice. Let me hear what your desires are. Tell them to me. Raise your petitions to me.
pour out your heart before me. And included in that is also, does he not love to hear the confession of his bride of love to him? Is that not what a bridegroom desires to hear? His bride confessing that love to him. And maybe it's grieved like Peter was when the Lord Jesus asked him, Lovest thou me? But confess it nonetheless. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Confess that with your voice. Confess that at his table. Let me hear thy voice. He desires to hear it. Whatever it be. And let me see thy countenance. He desires to see your face. And again, you can think, what is there in my face that he would want to see? Maybe you have to say with, with Ezra to me and Daniel, to me belongs shame and confusion of face. There's no beauty there. But he says, let me see your face. Come with everything before me. Keep nothing back. Show me your face, your face, which is a window into your soul. Come with your whole soul. Come with your whole being. Come unto me. That's what he desires, to have you with him. And if he says, let me see your face, that means he wants you with him. And if he wants you with him, it's also so that he would show you his face. Because as long as he can't see your face, as long as you don't come to him, he also doesn't show you his face. But that's also what he desires, isn't it? To show you his face, to show you his love, to show you his beauty, to show you his grace. He says, come. Come out, come to me, and let me show you who I am still in my love. That that love will melt away all hesitation. That love will melt away all fear. That love will overcome shame. And that love will fill with amazement. Let me see thy face. It means not just to look through that crack from a distance, but to come out, to come to him, because he desires fellowship with his bride. We speak of communion. And what is communion? It's fellowship with this Christ, with this bridegroom. And that's what he desires. That's why he establishes the table, because he desires to eat and to drink with his bride. He desires that fellowship with her. His love longs for it. His desire longs for it. He says, let me see your face. You sit maybe looking at your desire and how weak it is, your love and how weak it is, but do you not hear in his voice his desire and his love, which is greater than all your lack, and able to overcome all your lack and fill you with all you need, in order to, to have fellowship with him. His desire is so much greater than all you think and feel. As he says, let me hear your voice. Let me see your face. 
his desire. Did he not say towards his disciples, with desire have I desired to eat this supper with you? And is his heart not the same still tonight? As he looks towards tomorrow, and he says, with desire have I desired to see your face, to have fellowship with you. Come, my dove, come. Let me see thy face. You can't understand it. No, you can't. You never will understand the love of this bridegroom. And if he uses his very call to show you his love, the love that's in his heart, for you, his dove, then there's no words for why he would ever love, and yet he does. And the end of this text only increases the wonder. O oh, my dove, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. And we ask, how can that be? You would want to turn it around and say, his voice is sweet, and his countenance is comely, and there's no question about it. There's no voice like his, and there's no face like his. His is altogether lovely, but he looks down. And he says, your voice, your face is delightful. And you say, how can that be? How can he say that? If you're part of the, the bride of Christ, you look in the mirror of God's law and you don't see a beautiful sight. You see something defiled. You see sin. And you hear yourself pray. And yes, sometimes that pride can creep into you, aren't I praying well? But later you loathe yourself for it because you realize there's still so much sin even in your prayer. How can he say your voice is sweet? Is it just because he loves? You know, sometimes it's, it's just love that makes you see beauty in something no one else sees beauty in. It's the power of love. You can think of a, a little child, and I don't know if here little children have that. They have a little, little blanket, and they love that little blanket, and it becomes threadbare. And you want to wean them from that blanket, and you, you rip it in half, and it's just this threadbare, stained, dirty piece of cloth that you could give to someone else, and no one would ever consider it an honor to receive such a piece of cloth. They throw it in the garbage. But that child loves that child blanket and thinks it's so beautiful because he loves it. There's a sense in which Christ loves. And because he loves, he sees a beauty. He loved the church. But is there no beauty in his bride? Is this just the language of love? There is a beauty. There is a beauty in the bride of Christ. And it's the beauty of his own grace in his bride, isn't it? When Psalm 90 says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, it's about that beauty being upon us so that that beauty would be seen not only by others, but also by God himself. 
Because when Christ saves you, he doesn't leave you lying in your filth, diseased and covered with sores from head to foot. He also cleanses and renews and beautifies. You think even of how the Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove descending from heaven. He's that undefiled, gentle, beautiful dove. And as he enters into your heart, he also renews you to be like Christ. Give something of the beauty of Christ and he works it in your heart and in your life so that from your lips flows words which express a love to him, a desire for him. And that's a beautiful thing because it's not natural. By nature, we just desire all kinds of other things. But it's by his grace that we desire him as that heavenly bridegroom and to shelter in him. It's by grace that we side with God against our sin and confess it. There's a beauty in that, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work. In that sense, what he sees of the Spirit's work in his bride is beautiful and he recognizes it and he acknowledges it. And still that can be a struggle, can't it? Because you, you look and you see everything stained with sin. And where's the beauty? You can maybe see it in another and you can understand that another would say, Christ would say to another that, that your, your voice is, is beautiful and your, your face is, is beautiful. Because you look at another and you, you see the grace of God there. You say, how can I say my voice is sweet and my face is beautiful? But you don't need to say that as long as Christ says it, and he sees it. He sees his own work. He does. It's this beautiful grace. But there's an even deeper ground to how he can say here in this text, sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. Does he not ultimately see his bride clothed in his own perfect beauty. He says in Solomon, Song of Solomon 4, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. He doesn't just say, I see the beginning of my renewing grace in you, and I see some beauty emerging in the midst of your, your sinfulness. No, he says, you're all fair. There's not a single spot in you. And when we hear that, we think, how can he say that? He will only be able to say that one day when he presents his bride faultless before the throne. Then there'll be no spot. But already now, yes, already now. Because he sees his bride covered in his own beautiful robe of righteousness. His blood has washed away that filth and that beautiful robe covers that's why Isaiah 61 can sing, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels, he is my beautification. In Christ, his dove has a perfect beauty. And that's the tension, isn't it? In yourself, you still see what defiles. 
And that's what drives you out to Christ. Oh, renew me and let thy beauty renew me and fill me. And at the same time, he sees you as beautiful, covered in his righteousness. And that's why he wants his bride at his table to have fellowship with her, to have her delight in his love and be filled with the wonder and amazement at his grace. What he has done to secure that, that beauty in shedding his blood, which cleanses now and his perfect righteousness, which covers now. That's why he calls tonight. That's why he says, O oh, my dove that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Come. Amen. O Lord God, we pray to thee, and we give thee thanks for giving us thy word, and that through thy word thou dost call, and thou dost not cease to call, and that thou dost not only call sinners out of all those refuges of lies to find refuge in thee, dost not only find a bride defiled in her sin, but also cleanse and purify and cover with the robes of righteousness, that beautiful garment. Lord, we give thee thanks that thou dost do it by thy powerful effectual call and that thou dost not grow weary of calling, calling again and again back to thyself because thy heart is so full of love and so determined to show that love to have communion with thy bride in the midst of her hesitations, in the midst of her fears, in the midst of all the foolishness that fills her. Lord, we give thee thanks for who thou art and what thou dost do in thy Son. And we pray to indeed call us powerfully, effectually unto thyself, that we may enjoy that communion with thee, with all those things that come between us and thee cleared away. Lord, that we may have a foretaste of that eternal communion with thee, where there will not be a spot of sin to hinder it, where there will be nothing at all between thee and thy bride. But thy bride will have thy perfect beauty, not only covering her, but also filling her to be devoted to thee, to delight in thee. O Lord, what a day that shall be. And we pray to prepare each one of us for that day and to then live in anticipation of that day and to have foretaste of it already here. Bless us further in this evening. Give traveling mercies as we go to our homes and gather the congregation on thy day tomorrow. We pray thee to also graciously forgive all our sin, all our foolishness, all our waywardness, and to cleanse it all away. Receive our thanks and hear our prayer 
In Jesus' name alone, amen.